0: welcome to the writer dojo with your host steve diamond
1: yeah that's me
0: and larry Correa. hey guys today's episode a rising tide lifts all boats
1: all right everybody we're back welcome back to the writer dojo larry and i have a very very special episode for you today back by popular demand larry is the Larry
2: voice. Well, a few, a few episodes ago, I did a horrible voice for somebody, but we decided whenever we see really stupid writing advice on the internet going viral, um, like if an idiot tweet goes viral that's full of crap, they're always see all from the same guy. So I have that guy's voice.
1: All right. Larry, the theme of this episode is that writing and success um, is not a zero-sum game.
2: Yep. A rising tide lifts all boats.
1: All right, Larry, if you will do me the honor, sure. of reading the tweet from the moron who shall not be named.
2: Yeah. So this tweet uh, was going around the internet a little while ago, and uh, here we go. <coughs> Boy,
1: are, are you prepared? I am prepared. Be prepared.
2: <laughs> as we learned last time, if you're jogging, this is you know turn down your headphones a little. Yeah. Bit, as I almost killed the guy last yeah, time. Yeah. Please don't. Um, yeah. Sorry. Please, please drive carefully. Self-published writers are the equivalent of scabs crossing a union picket line. They literally take the bread out of the mouths of professional writers. You should be ashamed. You sort of are trying to hide the fact with indie quote marks and bogus publisher names. Hashtag writing community. Alright, right out the gate. I'm oh, sorry. First off, anytime I hear the word writing community, I want to barf. Okay? Because, sorry, I almost killed Steve again. Most of the time when I see writing community, it's like the worst human beings ever, like imposing their horrible draconian BS upon other writers like we're we're a community last time I got, actually got thrown out of a writing event uh I was disinvited as a guest to this writing uh, event. I remember that yeah and well no no this is one I didn't publicize yeah no there's business reasons for it but so not not the con but the like afterwards it was a it was this writing thing but Oh, I know what this is the example they used is because I attacked the writing community quote writing community that was because the writing community in that case was a bunch of horrible harpies screaming at some girl about how she shouldn't publish a book you know because it hurt their feelings but this guy here and i'll have to read this again in actual human english so people can understand me but he says and he's a guy he's a writer i guess well, he says he is he says he's a writer he's, he's a writer you've never heard of
1: i like. mean the the joke is that one day we will be a real writer yeah I yeah a lot. this this guy <laughs> this guy's not even there
2: Okay, so what he says is self-published writers are the equivalent of scabs. If you guys remember what that is, that was back in the old days when uh, a company would go on strike.
1: Yeah, union busting.
2: Union, they, they would bring in temporary workers to replace them, right? And so it's basically, you know, uh, the scabs crossing a union picket line. So I, lo- I love when these guys try too hard to evoke emotion by, like, using their really heavy-handed metaphors. Okay, but he says, they literally take the bread out of the mouths of professional writers, which... That's okay.
1: horse crap. Horse, horse scrap, crap. Horse crap. We'll go
2: into that a lot. And there's no literally there at all. This guy does not understand economics. <clears throat> these finite pie Bernie Sanders. I'm oh, sorry. We, I'm not supposed to go pol- political on this show. But these people who think that like this, like this. You know, if if I take if I make a dollar, I took a dollar away from you.
1: Yeah, that's not how this works. We
2: see that all the time in writing. These
1: people need to go to business school.
2: Yeah, see, me and Steve are both accountants before we were writers, and so we have a very different outlook on this. We actually understand how dollars work. And then he goes on to say, you should be ashamed. I love the shame attempts. You should be ashamed. You sort of are trying to hide the fact with, quote, indie and bogus publisher names. Hashtag writing community. Okay, so let's break down. Steve, would you like to take a shot at, like... I'm like,
1: so annoyed. You, I'm so annoyed.
2: Before we get this, you guys... Uh, I think most of my regular readers have heard me refer to the Brandolini principle. And it's the Brandolini BS asymmetry principle. And that's that it takes an order of magnitude more effort to refute BS than it does to create it. Oh, gosh, yeah. But we're going to illustrate that by talking for the next 30 minutes about how full of crap this About is. A,
1: about a... 30 word tweet or whatever this is but
2: hopefully you guys can learn something about the nature of the publishing industry and how to make a living at it and not wind up as a bitter crank blaming your failings on others
1: okay so first let's talk about the different types of because he mentions literally all of them here um the different types of publishing now we'll give you the super streamlined cliff notes versions because obviously you know we're going to we're going to go into all of these super in depth at a later time with special guest stars. So first of all, traditional publishing. Okay. Major publishers, you know, they do the marketing for you. They edit you, they grab you cover art, you know, they throw you into bookstores. Hopefully that's all good. They get you typically in front of a targeted large audience, all great. And you don't have to pay for any of that yourself.
2: Nope, that's referred to as traditional just because that's the way it's been done for the longest time.
1: Now, the negative, the potential negatives there are, especially these days, if your book isn't a home run out of the gate, then like publisher, like traditional publishers will drop you. Like a like a bad habit.
2: Yeah, we've seen me and Steve both know guys that have gotten publishing contracts. They've written one or two books for a publishing house. They didn't perform up to whatever the arbitrary number was on the spreadsheet, uh, and they got dropped. That was yeah. it for their traditional career.
1: Now the other part of this is that traditional publishing tends to be slow.
2: Very slow. Uh, even a fast turnaround is a year. Yeah. So I, I I turn the manuscript in. It's probably a year before that book comes out. Sometimes it's way longer. Yeah, uh, and Bayon's actually a pretty lean, small operation as far as traditional publishing houses go.
1: Yeah, for for I believe us, it's six to nine months at the absolute shortest.
2: Yeah, uh, whereas oh, so yeah, sorry, I'm getting there. Okay. So.
1: so 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 that leads into indie. Okay, you
2: know, I love the fact you put indie in quote marks. It just means independent, and that's yeah, what I it is. And I its its name is Indy. So the fact that you had to put it in quote marks.
1: It means he doesn't understand the market at all.
2: No. And, and there's a
1: specific irony here because I, I looked up this guy um, and he had one book through a kind of sort of almost larger publisher. And then like a dozen years later, 20 years later, he has one with a micropress. And I'm like, bro, you're you're basically the same thing.
2: Yeah, I was like micropress is like barely a step above indie publishing anyway.
1: Well, in fact, it has in many ways, it's worse.
2: Uh, a lot of times, it's got it's got the negatives of both, mm-hmm. depending on how good the. I mean, some of them are better than others. Some are actually pretty decent.
1: Okay, so any publishing you do, all of it yourself, you know, you got to go find your you got to go find your cover artist. You've got to find your um, your editors. You've got to find someone to lay out the book for you, unless you happen to have learned that skill. You know, you you don't have all of that stuff built in. You know, like like when Bain puts out a science fiction book the science fiction readers who are loyal to Bain will buy that book and read it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when you're an indie author, you don't have that built in cachet. You're putting it out there. You're throwing this thing out into the sea of, of an insane number of books that are released every yeah. minute, every minute of every day.
2: Um, That's the big downside of indie is, uh, there's millions of them like hundreds of thousands every month so it's, it's when you say a c it is not a joke no, no. and your biggest hindrance is how do you like stand out from this crowd and the thing is because it's independent there are no gatekeepers there's, there's so really, much trash there's really good indie books there's fantastic books. oh yeah but there's some that are just absolute garbage like yeah, just
1: say. just like anything I mean there's there's going to be the stuff out there that's super super great that's always a, a the like the you know for yeah. a lack of a better term the paragon of that of that yeah, area the
2: martian was independent
1: it was yeah and
2: look i mean it's, well and frankly and, and monster, hunter monster hunter international was international it was in and 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 they you know well the martians done better don't get me wrong well, i mean yeah. I, I mean i'm not a i'm not a big uh, uh matt damon fan but i totally take matt damon movie <laughs>
1: That's a great movie. The book is great. The book is fantastic.
2: Yeah. But that was independent. So there's a lot of really good indie stuff out there that does float to the top. But there's a lot of good indie stuff that no one ever sees because it doesn't get above the sea of crap.
1: The good part about indie publishing, though, is the speed and the agility at which you can publish. Because if you publish something, I mean, we we have a number of friends who are self-published. And they can complete a story, find a professional editor get it done, find cover art get that done and publish like in a fraction of yeah. the time the that it would take for, that it would take for us
2: and in the, and the the we' are gonna have some of these guys on the show as guest stars uh, in the future to ask specifically because I've been out of indie for too long yeah, yeah Indie's only really been around as a viable economic alternative for about like a day de- a little over a decade. decade
1: yeah
2: uh, and I was at the very beginning of that so my knowledge of how the indie publishing world works is very dated because it mm-hmm. moves so quickly. Yep. But we are planning on having some different authors on who uh, have been very successful in indie to talk about the specifics of how they work and how they market and how they rose above. The problem like with indie, too, is a lot of people expect a really fast turnaround time. And like the consumer base is very like almost like old-school pulp-oriented, where they're expecting a short novel every couple months, just boom, yeah. boom, boom, boom. So these guys are turning out tons yeah, of... Yeah, it's
1: almost gone back to kind of the... In, in a lot of ways, I've seen a lot... And that that it's gone back to almost the serialized serialized fiction.
2: Yeah, and so it's a it's a very different mindset, mm-hmm. and so we're going to have some of these guys come yeah. on and talk because they know that world better than oh, I do. Yeah, way do,
1: way way better than
0: I do.
2: My pontificating upon it now would be about ten years out of date, yeah. and that's not going to do you guys listening any good. So we'll have, uh, well, I've already talked to a few guys that I, I really yep. like. They're indie authors. We're going to have come on.
1: Now um, on the now on the small kind of micro press level, I, I think the benefit is. You do get the name of, of a publisher on the side of the book, and for some people, that's enough to make them think, for, for uh, the consumer, I mean, that's enough to make them go, oh, well, this isn't just uh, some dude in a fly-by-night.
2: There is, some, there is some cachet still to having a publisher. Like a name on the yeah, side. It, it lends credibility in the eye of the consumer. But and the
1: problem is, man... Oh, I, and, and my first experience of and, and, and with residue was this way.
2: That there's some shade. There, it.
1: It, it can go really shady.
2: Well, I think it, I told the story one time. I was I was at dinner in London, England, uh, after oh, book expo or yeah. uh, London Book Fair, and I was eating dinner with some British and European publishers, and they and I told and we were having conversation. I said I was from. They asked me where I was from. I said I was from Utah, and they looked at me and goes. Wow, are the little publishing houses there as bad as everyone says they are? <laughs> that's how bad, how legendarily bad some of the little fly-by-night indie, indie—yeah—they're not indie, but um some uh, micro publishers yeah. here in Utah were. That In London, England, they had heard stories about how terrible these pieces were.
1: You know, you get, and I, I think you, you said it the best, that um, if you're not careful, you're going to get the worst of both worlds yeah. from that. And that's... It'll take forever. The covers are all are, are, are all going to suck. Yeah. Um, the layout is probably going to suck. The editing is going to be terrible. Hopefully, you get a copy editor. Well, Maybe some not. some of these,
2: though, but it's like... So, so the good thing... Oh, we, your contracts we, are garbage. We did talk about money, but... So traditionally, you're keeping oh. a smaller percentage. Uh, indie, you're keeping a much larger percentage. Yep. But you have to do more of your own work. So yeah. it's... And, and, and theoretically, traditional, you're going to sell more copies. Most... Well... Depending, because there are, once again, some indie guys that are very successful on that. But if you're keeping 75%, you can sell fewer copies and have just as much money as if you're making 20% and selling more copies. Yeah,
1: with with a lot of micro, small presses, you, like, don't get either of them.
2: Yeah, you don't get either. So you get a bad, you get the worst percentage, and you don't sell any copies.
1: Yeah, because they don't market you, because they don't know how.
2: Well, a lot of the micro presses aren't in bookstores. So the biggest single thing traditional goes for, and, and as much as a lot of indie guys get upset about this and they get kind of offended, being in bookstores is still huge. It it's is a big still deal. a massive, massive thing. Uh, which was funny because like that's why like so 2020, 2021, the whole COVID shutdown was like the worst year ever for a lot of traditional published authors because all of a sudden like 95 percent of the retail establishments people would normally see our books were out of work.
1: It's not like it's not like they can't go online and buy those books, right? Right. But the idea that you can go into a physical location, walk around, someone there, hopefully your bookstore doesn't suck like a lot of them do. Yep. You can walk in and someone there will be somewhat knowledgeable and will be like, hey, you should go buy that book. You should buy it here. Here, take this book. I've
2: been in conservative because of book tours in the 12 years of doing this because I've talked before. I'm a road warrior and I go around America on one of my tours. Like last book tour was 4,700 miles. Yeah. You know, over three weeks, and I will hit every single bookstore along the way. So I have been conservatively yep. speaking in like five, 600 bookstores. I, I, at one point, I was talking to the vice president of sales at Barnes & Noble, and I had been in more Barnes & Nobles than he had. Like, not even a joke. And so it's going to vary greatly on place to place. Some places, uh, the bookstore is still a really super viable sales area. Other places, they're kind of dead. So it just kind of depends. But being in there is a very helpful thing.
1: All right. So we've... We've kind of outlined all of the terms in which this this guy that this guy's is used. Yeah, when we come um, back from so break,
2: we'll have to really get into. What so we're going to
1: get in there. We're, we're now that we've kind of given you the foundation of of things. Again, it's taken us fifteen minutes fifteen minutes to to explain the terms that this guy's casually thrown out in a thirty word tweet. So when we come back, we're gonna we're gonna get into this deeper.
0: Pebo is a special forces soldier trapped in a world that isn't so different from our own. In this world he's known as a planeswalker, yet nobody seems to fully understand what that means, and during the last handful of months Pebo's strength and speed have increased to a new, almost preternatural level, a level that brought with it the nosebleeds which are killing him. He's at death's door when he arrives at the Sage's Tower, a place known as a repository of ancient knowledge and where assassins are trained in the dark arts of their craft. The Sage's Tower is a story about a modern-day soldier coping with a situation that will either kill him or turn him into a weapon this world hasn't seen in thousands of years, if not longer. For Pebo, he's not so sure that surviving is the better of the two options. The Sage's Tower by best-selling author Michael A. Rothman is available on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Pick up your copy today.
1: Welcome back. All right. I've lasted as long as I can, Larry. I just can't I can't take it anymore. I can't I can't handle this guy's stupidity any longer.
2: Okay, so this whole attitude that indie writers are taking money away from you is crap because first off, it's the customer's money. It's the customer's entertainment dollar. That customer will decide what to spend his money on. And if he's not gonna spend it on books, he might spend it on video games or the movies.
1: Is is a pack of gum taking money out of this guy's mouth?
2: Yeah, I mean is I mean I, I don't if they maybe their entertainment dollar goes to is there a premium porn hub? I don't know. Something. Okay. I'm actually not sure. <laughs> but no, I, no idea. Yeah, I don't care maybe he's spending on movie passes or whatever. Maybe he paints minis. I don't know. That's the consumer's dollar. It's not this guy's dollar. Nobody <laughs> owes this guy crap. Well,
1: what where does he get off thinking that he is entitled to the dollar that I spend on like a Mike Rothman book, right? Where does he get, where does he get the idea that, that my money should have been directed to him instead of to Rothman? You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: So we got guys that are out there like Rothman or, or Nick Cole or, uh, uh, or Jason, Jason and Spax guys who are putting out Rick Paltrow, Mm -hmm. uh, guys that are putting out quality work and they're independent. So they're, uh, they're putting out quality work. If a consumer is on Amazon and he looks at a Larry Korea novel, and he looks at uh, a Richard Fox novel, and he decides to buy the Richard Fox novel, did Richard Fox steal a dollar from Larry Korea? No. No. That consumer merely decided that that was what he wanted to purchase. Well, here's the part that these guys always miss. They act like the pie is finite. It's not finite. How many people read one book a year? I mean, I'm talking about like actual readers. I mean, most Americans, that's probably generous. But you say, for readers, they don't. They read a bunch, they read a book a week. And maybe next week he's going to come back and buy a Larry Korea novel. And so if he looks at me versus Nick Cole, you know, really successful indie guy, and he buys the Larry Korea novel, because I have a new book out, and and instead of buying the Nick Cole novel, did did Larry Korea, did traditional publishing steal a dollar from Nick Cole? No. No. That's ridiculous.
1: Well, what's the thing that you and I always say about um, authors like Stephanie Meyer?
2: Oh, man. Stephanie Meyer sells-
1: A gajillion books. A
2: gajillion books.
1: You know, sleeps on bags of money, and her house is made of gold bricks, and when she weeps, she wipes her eyes with hundreds. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean?
2: We actually had this- uh, I wrote an article a couple years ago. uh, Actually, I've done this twice now. Uh, Well, one was this, once again, no talent, no name, hack, loser, who is butthurt- Because JK Rowling was selling too many books and their attitude was JK Rowling needs to get out of the way Uh, That way authors like me have a chance See, but that's 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 nonsense. What it is that person is taking their failure Their inability to make a market and they're putting the blame on someone more successful JK Rowling is not keeping that person from selling books in fact
1: She's growing, she's growing the number of readers.
2: Well, yeah, we probably have, I don't know how many million, but we have probably several million more people are readers today because they grew up on J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling was, her, was their gateway drug to book. I mean, probably tens of millions of people
1: so many millions
2: i mean we had a whole generation there that every single a- analogy they use is some Huff- hufflepuffs or whatever
1: yeah right
2: <laughs> and it's like read another book guys seriously but uh
1: specifically ours
2: yeah <laughs> 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 no don't read don't. if you read a steve diamond book it takes a dollar from me <laughs> <laughs> no see that's ridiculous and so and i saw the same thing where somebody else was butthurt hurt uh was a fantasy author because they went to the bookstore and their book wasn't on the shelf but there was like all these uh, J.R. Tolkien books. Yeah, there's a you know, whole
1: shelf dedicated to Tolkien.
2: And he's an old dead white guy and he needs to step aside so so I, I can, I was like, you know, no. Because it's like, you know what? He, First th-
1: of all, he, he's dead. He can't step aside.
2: Yeah. If his estate <laughs> doesn't <suddenly laughs> step it's not,
1: aside. It's not his decision anymore, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it,
2: and the thing is, it's irrelevant. <laughs> if it wasn't uh, Tolkien, that bookstore was going to stock whatever else sells. I'm not a George Martin fan. I on a personal level, you know? Right, right. I and on and, and, and a professional level, I find his books to be eh, hopeless. Hopeless and dreary.
1: However, how many people did he bring to fantasy? Tons. Robert Jordan. Oh, I am I'm, not, I'm not, not 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 my style. No. I I read them all. Uh, in fact, I think I I you think I think you Brandon than I, did. I think I think Brandon put me as a cameo in one of them. Cool. Um yeah, there you go. So, I'm not a huge fan of Robert Jordan's stuff but here's what I am a fan of the gajillions of people that he brought to fantasy and for Absolutely. that dude captivating my imagination when I was a kid.
2: Yeah. I never could figure out these people that get these bitter loser types that get all mad because somebody else is more successful yet. The fact that they have a career at all can oftentimes be attributed by the giants who've come before that were standing on their shoulders and this opportunity. Uh, I just don't get it. It's, it's this, it's this weird, Uh, elitist snobbery and and it's a very defeatist attitude too because if you blame your lack of sales on other people then you are basically hosing yourself because you're never going to come to terms with why you're not successful
1: one of the biggest things i i think that that successful authors do and, and i'm not talking about the ones that are the you know, they, they get the lightning in a bottle, and, and from from one day to the next, it seems like they're um, you know they're hyper uber successful. I'm talking about the ones that have to grind,
2: which is most of us. Which is most. Which is 99
1: percent of authors.
2: Yeah, I mean the, the strike it rich lightning bolt ones. I mean they do happen, <laughs> but rarely.
1: But the the ones that are the the grinded out ones, man, they have to put in the work. They've they've taken advice from so many people. And the one thing that they all seem to have in common is they have the ability to kind of self-reflect and look on their own writing and say, okay, what can I do better? How can I make this book better than the last one? And, and not just in terms of, well, um, I need to sell better. So how can I sell better? No, they, they, I think they go deeper than that, Larry. I know you do. And I know I do. And that's. And that's taking a hard look at what I do and say. Okay, um, I, I think I have a pretty good handle on dialogue, but you know, I'm there's there's times when I worry about my exposition. And this is this is real talk. This is how I feel about myself. You know, I think I think I write action pretty well, Larry. I think that my dialogue is pretty good, and when it comes to writing dirtbag characters, I think I'm, oh, yeah, I, think I'm pretty, I think I'm do pretty I think I'm pretty solid. Yeah. Writing exposition and going further than that, writing descriptive text mm-hmm. is hard for me and the thing that's exceptionally hard for me is writing romance scenes oh yeah okay thanks larry for making sure that in the last book you said <laughs> you said hey steve i've got all this done i have one scene that needs to be written though yeah. it's a romance scene suck it
2: hey steve <laughs> here's a five thousand word gap we need a romance yes.
1: but in all seriousness it came out pretty good. if i can I, I think it turned out yeah, okay very good. looking back on things if I can't look at my own writing and identify where my shortcomings are, how the heck am I supposed to improve?
2: Yep. You need to have deep seated introspection professionally to see where your shortcomings are. If you blame your failures on somebody else, it's a crutch. You'll never, and you, it, this is real talk time guys. This is, not- this, this
1: is not writing advice. This is, this is career in anything. This
2: is life. I, I you see it all This the is time. what I tell
1: my kids, dude.
2: Yeah, you get these people who are like, well, I can't be successful because of outside factor X. And the thing is, outside factor X is always something that's beyond your control. It's like blame some societal thing that's holding you back. And as long as as you can't, it's it's a thing you can't defeat. Well, then you'll never be successful. And you always have an excuse. Mm -hmm. This guy here. Is blundering into the same trap as all those writers we've seen—the ones compl- the one you know complaining about J.K. Rowling, the one complaining about Tolkien, the one remember the uh, the finger shaking scold that he oh, yeah, had at uh, yeah. Neil Gaiman? Neil Gaiman, yeah. As she was wearing a Doctor Who shirt in the picture, which slate. Oh have, irony! That was ironic. Oh irony. Um. And the thing is, it's like these people all have the same kind of thing in common and they're blaming somebody else. Indie writers are not what is keeping this guy from being a bestseller. No, he is. Yeah, he is going to be what's keeping him from being a bestseller.
1: He is. I mean, you used to have the day job and and I'm currently in the day job. And and I have this conversation with, with the CEO of the company all the time. Like at least once a week, Larry. And that's, you know... When you're running a small company um, or or a large company or just yourself or whatever, there are always going to be voids or holes or deficiencies within a company. There's two types of people. There's the person who looks at that situation and says, well, crap, like if no one's going to do this, I'm going to be that guy to do this because I, I can't, I can't stand watching this not happen. Okay. You know, and, and, and you and I are both in that are both in that camp. In fact, we often joke that the majority of our careers are based specifically out of spite, you know, it's like, well, that guy can't do the job. I'm going to do it and prove that I'm better. Okay. And then there's the people that, that back away from that opportunity. And that's because they don't see it as an opportunity. They see it as a difficulty. And, and what I, what I want, you know, life advice. Yes. But what I want, The writers these prospective writers out there to understand um and and why this guy publishing this idiotic tweet is so what, what incenses me so much is he's looking at everything in a negative light rather than turning it around and saying you say well you know uh we'll just say jk rowling well jk rowling such this this big author and 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 i'm You know, this person, I'll never be that good. So she's taking money out of my mouth. Or you can say, or or let's, you know, his is specifically indie writing. I'm going to use Mike Rothman. Rothman's a great dude and very successful. Okay. He's saying, well, Rothman is taking money out of my mouth because he's getting all of these people to buy his book instead of my book. The question he should be asking himself Rather than that, and saying that, that sort of super negativity, um, having that mindset, the thing he should be saying is, huh, Rothman is getting all these people to buy his books. Why?
2: Absolutely. It's like, don't blame the guy. See why the guy is more successful than you. And go from there just accordingly. You know, it's, it's interesting too, because India is such a nebulous term because it's such a broad broad category i mean it's as we said it's it's the biggest challenge is the, the fact is hundreds of thousands of books many of which are just awful yeah, some of which are really junk. good and the thing is it's like comparing yourself instead of putting any you could just put books but the fact that he's acting like he speaks on behalf of trade writers kind of offends me yeah as as a as a traditionally published writer it's like dude i'm not on your side
1: as, um, a, as a dude who's just starting yeah, and trying to... Don't speak for me. Yeah, don't don't talk. Don't act like you know me.
2: this I'm not in your hashtag writing community. No. I have a spit on your writing community. Your writing community sounds like a bunch of whiners.
1: Well, you know, he... he again, and, and to go to business frickin' 101, okay? And you don't need a business degree to understand this, though I have one. Yeah, me too. So, the idea that the pie... You know, it, we always talk about the, the, the finite pie in business. There is one school of economics that is bad and stupid and dumb that says that that pie is finite. Okay, when someone takes a piece out of that pie, it leaves it. It leaves the rest, and that pie never gets bigger and never replenishes, um, and only certain people can take slices. And this guy and, 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 of course, the others that we've talked about, that is their mindset. They're, they're, they're playing the victim. In reality, the way business actually works, at least where it works successfully in the world, uh, is that success doesn't take a slice of the pie. It just gets you a bigger pie tin. And then the pie gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, yeah, you know what, maybe I have a small slice of that pie, but the bigger that pie gets, the more opportunity I have for my teeny, teeny, tiny slice of pie to become just a little bit bigger. And so not only is, is other people's success helping me when I have success, it's helping people who are smaller than me and it, it, it just feeds on itself.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting too, cause this guy is attacking indie writers when really if there there's any one group or thing that he wants to like really should be complaining it'd be like jeff bezos and amazon <laughs> yeah you know it's like the and that's another. i mean it's because this is the big mega thing that controls who sees what mm-hmm. and it's the biggest single you know entity in the marketing business i mean said they're blaming these guys that most of whom are not making that much money most of whom are working their butts off just like the rest of us and they're just normal writers trying to tell a story the successful indie writers hustle. I mean, these guys work so hard, and because I was actually looking at the stats the other day, some of them are making you know three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars, are spending you know two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on advertising. Yep. You know these guys are working their butts off to get to where they are, and so I I'm thinking like, dude, if you are working as hard as they are, to be as successful as the ones that are taking a dollar from you, then you wouldn't be complaining. Because you'd be successful too. Mm -hmm. Because it's almost impossible in traditional or indie to work that hard building your audience and producing your craft and not be successful.
1: Well, and that, I mean, and that holds true for anything.
2: If you put in the work in almost anything, well, barring stuff that has like, like definitely, no matter what, I could never play professional football.
1: (laughs) Well, not anymore. (laughs) Not
2: anymore. You know, okay, 25 years ago, I could have done like minor, minor college, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like crap Crap college, I could be second string. Um, but there's certain things, barring you know physical limitations, but as far as like things like normal jobs where you can just put the effort in, these guys that are the successful guys in Indy, very few of them blundered into it easily. Yeah, it's not like hustlers. it's not
1: like they woke up one morning and all of a sudden they looked and there was these magical books written that they didn't write. And, you know, their bank account was filled with magical money. Yeah, that's not how this works.
2: Well, you look at the successful ones almost always. They got good covers. They've got good looking layout. Yep. The books look very professional. They have clean thumbnails that you're going to be that readers are going to be inclined to click on professional presentation. Um, and yeah, there is the whole costing element. I mean, we're both accountants, so we can understand like the costing. and A lot of us perceived value. Like I can sell; I sell my eBooks at like seven ninety nine or eight ninety nine when they come out, and I, I do great on that. Other guys are selling them at a dollar ninety nine or you know ninety nine cents mm-hmm. or whatever. But it's all that's just pricing. That's that's like any other business in the that's, world. That's just
1: a cost risk analysis that you gotta you gotta do.
2: Yeah, that's just basic. It's just it's just cost accounting, and it's like what am I setting at and hopefully to maximize. My thing—it's—I don't know—and so you look at guys like this. How much you want to bet this guy has never had an articulate thought about cost accounting? <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb here and say there's not something he's done a well, lot of analysis on. I've
1: got—I've got four ideas for how this guy can become a better writer, Larry. Because Off Twitter. Well, I mean that is one of it. So the first one is if—if if you're so worried about other people taking bread from your mouth one i mean facetiously like you should probably save your money better um but in serious in all seriousness dude be more entertaining like that's point one be freaking more entertaining are you
2: getting your butt kicked by guys who their entire marketing budget comes out of their own pocket if you're a traditional published author how are you getting schooled by these dudes that are doing it on their own
1: number two produce something
2: Did you say this guy's written, like, two books? Two and, like, 20. Oh, two books. That's a good thing I've noticed with these people that do that, that that, that complain the most. They almost never have a very significant catalog. Their backlist is nothing. Like the the one complaining about uh, Neil Gaiman has, like, 12 short stories in 15 years. Uh, The one that was complaining about J.K. Rowling had, like, two books, you know. Yep. I got 25 books. And... I'm not even close to the hardest working writer I know. I, I'm like, I, I got guys way to the right of me on the bell curve.
1: I know, you still don't have the James Patterson Book of the Month Club.
2: I need like, it, to reach James Patterson numbers, well, let's be honest, you got to have like 15 writers change in your basement?
1: I mean, I'm working on it. <laughs> I mean, right. they're not writers, but there's people there.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: So, number three, <clears throat> before I get arrested. Um, don't be a whiny little punk you know you know what you know what people hate more than anything Whiners. people who just whine constantly yeah.
2: that's something we actually didn't do that. we need to do an episode on that as far as like perception, because this is something i learned back when i was in the gun business and i was selling stuff there's the perception that success breeds success it's why mm-hmm. salesmen always drive nice cars wear nice watches have nice shoes
1: yeah sure they have an image
2: they have an image if people perceive you as being successful They're more likely to think of you as successful, and they're more likely to treat you as if you're successful. So as a writer, you want to be successful, that means that you're good, and people like people buy your books because they think they're good. So when you go out there and you present yourself to the public, don't present yourself as a loser. Don't present yourself to the reading public that, oh, woe is me, buy my books out of pity. Go out there and be like, I'm a butt kicker, and my books are awesome, and people really like them, and I sell a bunch, and yay. And then people are like, wow, this guy's a winner.
1: Now, to, to, to be on the other side of that point, and this goes into, into part four, don't be a jerk. Like, treat your fans and your customers like they actually matter because they do. Yeah. And I think part of that is it's the inverse of, of the attitude you were just describing. And that's, goodness sakes, like, you know, sure you have the can-do attitude and you're excited and you have this enthusiasm. Don't be like, I'm the best thing since ever, and I yeah. am better than you. And I don't owe you anything and nothing that you do or say matters to me. And, uh, you know, I, 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 remember I went to a, to a book signing. Um, I went to this little con up in Missoula, Montana. Great con, great con. The people that run it are fantastic. Um, Montana is absolutely gorgeous. It's over uh, Memorial day weekend. Uh, Scott, it's, it's called miss con. Um, great folk, absolutely great folk. I love that convention. I haven't been for a few years. A enormously popular author was there, enormously popular. And I had, I'd been at dinner with this guy the night before and sat next to him. We were chatting, we were talking the next morning. Um, we go, I, I, I have a couple books for him to sign and I get in his line and he, I put the books in front of him. And, uh, and I ask him like, Hey, you doing any better? You doing any better today? I know you're pretty wiped out last night. And he looks at me and he says, I don't know who you are. I said, Oh, well, sorry. Yeah. I was sitting next to you at dinner last night. And he's like, I don't think you were. And then I saw him act in similar fashion to every other fan that came by. And I'm thinking, you know what, dude, I don't care how popular you are. You can't treat your fans like that. No. Those are, those are the people that are paying your bills.
2: I, I, it's, I, I'm an interesting, and, and this is being 100% honest here, like peek behind the curtain. I have a really good reputation for being nice to my fans, mm-hmm. but I am a mean bastard to people that come at me. And so I have this rep. So it's funny, there's two, there's two camps on the internet. People who say Larry Correa is like the nicest guy ever. Or and, he's a jerk face. Or people who say Larry Correa is the biggest, meanest jerk that's ever lived. There's no in between. But the thing is, because, like I said, I have a very combative background. So people who come at me, I go right back. That's how I roll. But on the on the fans, you've got to love your fans. you got to treat them with respect. Because your fans ultimately make or break you.
1: Yep. All right, everybody. That's all the time we have for you today. We're not going to waste any more time talking about this moron because he's dumb. He's stupid. And uh, frankly, the fact that he even, I don't know, took the time to write this tweet is offensive. So uh, don't listen to the guys like this. Be positive and, uh, and get out there and work your tail off because that's how you're going to be successful. So uh, we'll see you on the next one, everyone.
0: Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea, produced by Jack Wilder and Baron Hare Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries, by Craig Nivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday, wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash Writer Dojo, by leaving us a five-star rating or review, and by helping to spread the word. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. You should be ashamed!